All right, we are rolling now. Counting us down. Three, two. You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show. Hello there, Misketeers, and welcome back to Missing Out. I'm Tari J. I am Lex Michael. And if this is your first time listening, what we do here is we introduce each other to different media, whether it be movies, music, television, spoken word, books, experiences, things that have built us up as people, and we hope that in sharing it, it builds you up. We are the retrospective that is introspective. Tari J, I think you plagiarized that introduction. You just clevered your way into an F. Go sit behind the blackboard. Oh no, not not behind the blackboard. How how I I need my freedom. <laughs> I am a child who requires freedom. <laughs> this week we are talking about the French film from nineteen fifty nine, and uh, I gotta let you guys know. That I am bad at French. I am notoriously bad at French. So every word that I try to pronounce will be bad. So prepare your ears. It is the English version is the 400 blows. The French original title is Le Quatre Cents Coups, which I think was close. Close. Yeah, thank you. How would you pronounce it? Uh, was it Le Quatre Cents Coups? Le Quatre Cents Coups. Right. I'm, pr- I'm probably also way off the mark. But uh, yeah, the original French title means uh, to live a wild life. And the 400 blows is sort of a weird English mistranslation. But what the title refers to, I suppose, could be most accurately described as something akin to the 400 dirty tricks and not 400 punches or wherever else your mind might take you. Well, I mean, all right, it could be how many times this kid gets slapped in the face (laughs) or... It could be possibly uh, how many times he blows from cigarettes, this young child, because he loves cigarettes and cigars like it's his jam. So I think maybe if you wanted to do that, then that's it runs the gambit. It could mean anything. It's like a it's like a I don't know, the Twin Peaks of names. (laughs) It's exactly exactly like that. Hell yeah. Um, so Lex, you brought this to us this week. I did. So I guess I'm going to have to ask you to pitch it to us. All right. So, uh, the 400 blows is the debut feature by uh, writer director, Francois Truffaut, one of the leading figures of the French new wave. And this was right as the French new wave was really taking off. And what you have here is an autobiographical story of youthful rebellion. And I think it is something that one is super relatable. And that's something I'm going to talk about uh, as we get into this conversation, but also it's Something that we hadn't seen quite this way in cinema before. And and the French New Wave was this big movement of filmmakers. A lot of them had been film critics, and that's something else that I want to talk about as well. But they helped redefine the language of cinema going forward. And the work of filmmakers like Truffaut, like Godard, when their work finally made it over to the United States and started to influence the next generation, that's how we got some of the really interesting creative decisions that were made in the new Hollywood era of the very late 60s into the 70s. 
70s. And a lot of that ground zero for a good amount of it is the French New Wave, which was really, uh, for my money, kicked off in earnest right around this time with the 400 Blows. And it also launched uh, a series, a five film series featuring this character. So kind of doing boyhood before boyhood was a thing. And it really launched this new crazy influential voice um, into not just the world of film criticism where Truffaut had had sort of made his bones, but also into the world of filmmaking proper. There's a lot to to talk about in this movie, but I want to know first and foremost, because I could talk uh, endlessly about how this thing affected me, especially on this rewatch, but I want to know, Tari, how were you, if at all, affected by the 400 blows? I found it interesting but i also found it quite like i was waiting for something really big to happen and it kind of just like meandered its way through the hour and 40 something minutes and so like i think i was misled by the descriptions or like the synopses where it's like a 12 year old boy gets into a life of crime to escape his family (laughs) and you're like oh shit this boy's gonna fucking uh, do some drugs Um, but instead it's just like oh look at this coming of age catcher in the rye type story and it's like okay all right that's cool that is, that's it's a fine. solid comparison. It definitely has more in common with Catcher in the Rye than, say, something like Goodfellas. Um, yes, the, the crime that he gets into is very, very low stakes, petty, petty crime. The kind of crime that, believably, a child might engage in when they're looking to rebel largely for its own sake. Right, of course. I will say that, like, I've read that it's won a bunch of awards. I had read about how it was very influential to lots of filmmaking i think that i needed more context around the movie itself before going in so i will say that like for anyone who hasn't seen it maybe read about it not necessarily the plot which like there's not a lot to like specifically spoil like you know he he doesn't turn into like a giant tentacle monster or anything (laughs) but maybe read about the context before going in to understand like why this was so revolutionary at the time yeah and a lot of it has to do with the style in which Truffaut made this movie so the French New Wave really if you look at modern film grammar I feel like a lot of what we understand in those terms came from sort of a melding of French New Wave and Italian neorealist styles and the Italian neorealist movement was I want to say the better part of a decade before the French New Wave really took off. But it was, uh, you know, we're going to take this out of the studio. We're going to take it into the real world. We're going to do kind of quick setups. We're going to do a little bit more of a documentary cinema verite style. We're going to play with technique in a way that that really puts you in the subjective POV of the main character as much as possible in a way that we really hadn't seen in movies before. They certainly weren't doing it in American movies. I mean, we've talked uh, a couple of times about American movies that that predate this. I know we talked about His Girl Friday at one point comes to mind. And we've talked about how film grammar in that era and, and a little bit after in American cinema was still very stagey, was very performative. It didn't have any of these uh, cinema verite aspects that I think the French really sort of turned people onto at this point. And that, in terms of its influence, it's, I think, the technical aspects more than necessarily any other specific element of the movie that I think 
like really made that impact, but all in service of telling a story that feels, you know, there's not a lot of big, like, like you said, there's no tentacle monsters in it. It's not a huge, bombastic, larger than life story. It's very, it's very real and it's very personal because Francois Truffaut based this on his own life. The uh, Antoine Duanel character is very much a surrogate for Truffaut himself. So I think in terms of its influence, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he chose to tell a very personal story, but implementing techniques that were not necessarily in fashion at the time to great effect. That's interesting. I feel like it might be hard to talk about it without kind of going into specifics, especially since it sounds like you have kind of a connection with the Antoine character. I'll say this, because I can say it without spoiling anything. I had seen this movie before a couple of times. I have um, like Criterion Collection put it out on Blu-ray a while ago, so I own a copy of it. Seen it a couple of times. Watching it this time, it struck me in a way that it hadn't before. And I think it maybe is uh, simply a matter of I am now old enough that I can look back on my own childhood and early adolescence with a little bit more perspective and clarity than I've been able to in the past. And about halfway through this movie, I went, oh, shit, I am Antoine Duanel. I like that you can see yourself in this character. Let's dive into it after a short break. For anyone who is ready to watch this movie it's available on all streaming platforms if you have hbo max which is where i watched it it is available there streaming readily available and if you want all the spoilers don't forget to hang out with us after the short break uh while you are reaching for your dial in case you're like oh nah i don't want no spoilers then take some time Maybe stop driving, maybe, or if you're working or something, when you have a chance, maybe on your lunch break, if you would be so kind as to go to the iTunes store and leave us a rating or review if you haven't already done so, you know what that does? It really helps us get to the top of the charts. It really helps other people find us, really helps us to keep growing, you know, and it really just brightens our day. So if you are feeling so inclined to do so, hey, you do you, baby. If you're not, hey, we get it. You know, times are hard. Times are rough. You know, maybe you don't have the emotional or mental energy to go and do that rating or review. And look, that's cool. We hope that we brighten your day the way you brighten ours. So we will catch you right after this break. All right, we are back so lex michael we can spoil all day you know what i'm talking about oh baby i'm gonna tell everybody what happens i'm about to bust a recap all right what happens in this movie man we got this kid he's like 12 years old his name is antoine donnell and he's like yo i'm a delinquent I don't want I don't want to do anything that the teacher says and the teacher's like, "Yo, I'm a fucking mean bitch. So you you cross me, I'm going to I'm going to tell your parents that you're a piece of shit. I'm going to give you extra homework. I'm going to yell at you. I might even slap you at some point cuz I fucking hate kids and I hate my job." And so then after Daniel uh, Daniel 
I'm gonna go. I'm I'm going with Daniel, um, because that's how his his teacher says it. After he's sent home, we meet his family, and his mom is a demanding asshole, and his dad is pretty lighthearted, and uh, she's mean to both of them. And he sleeps in a closet in in the same way that like Harry Potter sleeps under the stairs and you're like oh man these guys they're sharing so little space and this kid he's such an underdog oh man i feel so sorry for them and then like his parents are always arguing and then uh after a while he's like yo i think i'm gonna do some more trouble which then leads him to do let's see he he has a, a series of troubles he plays hooky with his friend Renee, who I'm convinced that when they grow up, they are going to be lovers, um, because <laughs> Renee is a really good friend. I love Renee. But, like, yeah, so they play hooky, and then that essentially starts a chain of events that leads him to, big quotes, crime. Because him skipping school meant that he had to lie in order to excuse him getting... Uh, or missing school, which essentially means that he told his teacher that his mom died, and then his mom showed up, and his dad was like, how dare you? And he slaps him twice in front of all the kids, basically making him a bitch to all his friends. And then he's like, I can't go home now that everyone's like, oh man, you such a bitch. And then uh, my parents are going to slap me some more, not in front of people, which means it's going to be harder. And so uh, then he like spends the night in a print shop, steal some milk first first petty theft oh boy and trespassing the charges are now building and then his parents try to be nice to him a little bit because they're like oh like maybe maybe uh we're to blame maybe we're bad parents and so his mom starts to be a little nicer to him and then boy he's like i don't i don't want to do any of this she bribes him into d- trying to like write a cool essay i couldn't tell if he had actually plagiarized from balzac or if his teacher just thought he did but either way he got in trouble and he's like i can't go back to my parents now i'm not gonna get that thousand francs and they're gonna whoop my ass and so he goes and hangs out at renee's house who has too many cats And they're like, yo, bro, we got to figure out what our plans are moving forward. We got to make some money so we can go on the road. We can go see some fucking oceans. And then they're like, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to steal this typewriter. We're going to sell it. We're going to use that money to become ballers. And then once we're ballers, we we just start our lives together because we are future lovers. And then (laughs) they get caught because they can't sell it. The uh, night watchman catches Anton and he's like yo I'm gonna tell your daddy and his daddy is like fuck you you're going to jail motherfucker maybe you'll learn a lesson and (laughs) so then it's like all downhill for Anton because he's like yo uh, I can't deal with being here at this detention center and his mom shows up and is like yo bitch you don't snitched on me because I'm a cheater and then you hurt your dad's feelings who's not even your real dad Bro, we're never coming to get you. Hope you like it here because you are fucked. And so he's like, you know what? I don't like it here. And he escapes under a fence and he runs away and finally makes it to the ocean and is like, yo, I saw the ocean. And now you have to assume what happens to him going from there. 
because there are other movies, but like we're not talking about those movies. So as far as I'm concerned, he walked into the ocean and that was the end. All right, that's that's pretty good. That's a I like it. I like the movie that you just wrote. I mean, that was the movie. You should write and direct the American remake. I feel like it. W- I told it beat for beat. That's the movie I watched. I mean, I may have like spiced it up a little bit because this movie is very much about long, thoughtful, pensive shots, and my retelling is all about those hitting those big, big dips, those valleys and in, in hills, baby. You know, nothing long and thoughtful over here. Um, I'm pointing to my junk. (laughs) It's just a lot of cut, 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 cut. Hell yeah, baby. Cutting to the chase. When they redo the entire Antoine Duanel series uh, for American audiences, probably on Netflix or something, uh, you, you should definitely write it. You should head up that writer's room. I mean, I know the first thing I would do is put more black people in this because uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but France is full of black people. Like, there's a bunch of them, <laughs> uh, but not in this movie. Not a single one. No. Nah. Yeah, yeah, they're they're not. No. That's true. <laughs> also, I would age the kids up a little bit so that uh, Antoine and Renee can smooch at some point. 12 years old, it's still, like, young and innocent, and, like, even they don't really know what their sexuality is. Right. And, like, in France, like, sexuality is a lot more fluidly acceptable. I imagine that they're, like... 15, they're like, yo, we are a couple. Let's go away forever and start our life together. We love each other. One smooch at the very end. It, like, it, it, it's anime rules, so you have to wait until the very end for that smooch. But that's how you get all these weird incel bros being like, they're taking the French New Wave away from us and making it all all gay and shit. Uh, these SJWs ruining our art house French <laughs> cinema for us. Why can't you keep your identity politics out of my New Wave cinema? I'll be like, go read French history. <laughs> The idea of straight is a modern concept. But as you say, the uh, yes, the they're, they're twelve years old, and they're you see in the in one of the inciting incidents in the movie at school very early on, you get them all passing around the image of the pinup girl, and they know on some level that it's sexy and it's taboo, but it's very much like a tee-hee-hee kind of sexy, and not um, I'm gonna I'm gonna take this home with me this evening and put it to use, right. Type sexy, yes, you know for like stuffing underneath a table to make it level or um you know putting putting in like a leak so that it absorbs the water that's what you mean right exactly yeah yes of course okay cool because because they're 12 right because they are 12 those are the uses that they would have for it (laughs) so like you saw this in a new light like so where did you start when you first saw it And then how does that compare to now? Well, okay, so I must have seen this for the first time when I was in high school would be my guess. When I was going from somebody who was already a movie nerd to somebody who really wanted to experience the the vastness of all world cinema had to offer. And because 400 Blows is on almost every single 100 best movies of all time list you're going to find... And because it is widely considered one of the, if not to some extent, the big jumping off point for the entire French New Wave movement, I figured, okay, this is going to be one of the places where I start. And I think I had a similar experience that you did because I didn't 
know what what the tenets of the French New Wave movement were. I didn't know what to expect. And of course, as a, a young, like in my early teens, you know, there's a there are barri- multiple barriers for entry. There's the barrier of this is an older movie in black and white using film grammar that certainly def- uh, helped define and shape the familiar, but is still a little bit removed from it. It's still more of a, say, a proto version of it. And then, of course, in my early teens, uh, subtitles were definitely not a barrier for entry, but certainly a bit more of one than they would be for me today. Um, and so all of these things together meant that I could I, I could sit there and I could absorb this movie in an intellectual way, let's say, without necessarily being affected by it on an emotional level. But the biggest reason for that, I think, was because I was still too close in age to the age of the lead character in this movie. So I was more inclined to see myself as as maybe something completely separate from this character. Because as I said earlier, uh, I didn't necessarily have the perspective on myself to see how similar he and I were. I was just too close to that part of my life. I mean, if Antoine is meant to be 12, we're talking, you know, I was I was maybe only two or three years removed from that. So now coming to it, uh, being much older, a couple of things. One, all of the things that had previously uh, as an audience member for me been potential barriers for entry, I am so much more used to now. You know, those things are no longer barriers for entry the way they may once have been. And most importantly, I am now uh, more than twice the age of the Antoine character. And it's a lot easier for me to see. And I didn't pick this movie because I knew this. This was something I discovered as I was watching it this time. It is so much easier for me to see how many of the biographical details uh, Antoine and I share. Obviously, uh, I was never a a little French boy in the early 40s. And something else that's worth mentioning, while this was all going on, and this is all based directly on Truffaut's own experiences, it was also in, in his real life during the German occupation of France in the Second World War. And they decided intentionally to strip those elements out of this movie, I think because they felt that it was it just added too much heaviness and too much darkness to this story. So I obviously was not living through something like that. I didn't have to live, thankfully, in uh, the little entryway of a teeny tiny cramped apartment, things like that. But I think what we have, obviously, uh, it's a story that is explicitly about how Antoine sort of rebels and acts out um, and, and basically gives a big old middle finger to the, the systems that are trying to keep him down and stuff like that. But I think if you take a step further back, you see a story that is a- at least in large part about a kid who is continually failed by the adults around him and is then held responsible for his reactions to the way the adults around him are failing him. Um, and you can go pretty much down the list of every grown up that interacts with Antoine throughout the movie. And each one of them, I think, fails him in one profound way or another. And in each case, there are ways that sort of delegitimize his very existence, that like delegitimize any potential point of view he might have, that sort of uh, strip him of uh, tenants of his individuality. And then when he is not able to conform or not willing to conform in X or Y way, he is then punished for that uh, in a way that even further tries to undermine or delegitimize his 
points of view, his individuality, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Whether it's uh, his teachers or his parents, um, not just his individual sort of disputes with one parent or the other, but also the way that their relationship and some some funkiness that's going on in the relationship between his parents ends up trickling down and he ends up getting let's say, uh, metaphorically smacked in the face over it, stuff that is completely outside of his control. Yeah, I will say I related to this character this time through a hell of a lot more than I remembered relating to this character the last time I saw this movie. Most of this feels very, very familiar to me. I get that. Like, I too, at one point, tried to forge my parents' signature I, too, took money that didn't belong to me. I, too, skipped school when I was not supposed to. Like, I I totally get all of those aspects. And I do feel like this has kind of like a, if someone needs a a modern analog, like it feels like a, like a sand lot or something like that, where it is just allowing these kids to be kids. And it's not really trying to force kind of like, what a adult would view how a kid would behave like all of these kids are acting as a uh, a young person would with their own lack of experience and and lack of consideration for consequences they just kind of act in the way that they feel is appropriate at that moment this movie does a really good job of capturing those aspects of it what feel like oppressive forces in your life as a as a young child that you kind of just have to live with and figure out how to make the best out of right and and these forces that really have little to no regard for who you are as an individual and of course as as we know as we we get older and we sort of move into adulthood we come to understand that a lot of what living is is trying to reconcile your sense of individuality with being a part of a society with rules and structures and and needing to fit in there somewhere, um, ultimately for your own good. But that's not something that you have the perspective to really make clear to yourself when you're a child. And so you feel like you're being, I mean, I can't speak for you, but I can definitely relate to the feeling of being pushed and pulled in a whole bunch of different directions because the adults quote unquote know better when in fact nobody was making any attempt whatsoever to connect with me and to figure out, or if not even to uh, to defer to my feelings on things, but at the very least to engage with me as an individual and to try and truly connect with and enlighten me as to why things needed to be X or Y way. You referenced him forging uh, his parents' signature on a note, right? And you said like, that's something you've done. I'm pretty sure that that's something a great many kids have done at one point or another. It's certainly something that I did probably more than once when I was close to Antoine's age. And why do we do that, right? Like part of it is we don't want to be punished. We don't want to get grounded or, or whatever's going to happen to us if we take home a bad report card or a, a disciplinary notice from the school. But I think in part, it's because we know that nobody, uh, not our teachers and not our parents are actually going to try and see things from our point of view. It's going to be, you did it wrong. You did it badly. You did a, a, a bad thing and you should be punished for it. And that really, it it doesn't incentivize playing completely 
fair playing completely above board because you know that you don't have anywhere to go where somebody is going to listen and be understanding. And that eventually on a long enough timeline, as we see in this movie and as we see in in many cases in real life, you can create this cycle where at a certain point, all the kid has is acting out in big, uh, in, in Antoine's case, sometimes like petty criminal ways, because that's a, how you can exact your will uh, to one extent or another. You actually feel a little bit of uh, control. Uh, two, you're like sticking it to the man who, who's keeping you down and stuff like that. And and so you get that additional sort of thrill. And then even if you get caught and punished, at the very least on some level, it's like, yeah, but I still got you. You know what I mean? Like this was going to happen to me anyway. You were eventually going to get me and, and punish me, whatever. But at least I got you won really good. Uh, I might be going off into the weeds here a little bit, but my point is that I do think it's something that to one extent or another, a lot of us can relate to. And I can certainly relate to being in a position where, like you said about Antoine's teacher, it seems at multiple points, like this is a kind of a bitter person who maybe doesn't like his job all that much. And regardless of what any of his students are or are not doing, he might be looking to dole out a little punishment. I've had that teacher and I've been in the position of having to reconcile the reality of I'm in a position where I'm supposed to go fess up and get a a signature that says, you know, okay, like we've acknowledged this and we're going to punish him and and so on. But also with the reality that this is sort of bullshit to begin with. And I am being held accountable for the bullshit of adults who should know better. Right. Uh, I've been in that position a whole bunch. And that really is the backbone of Antoine's experience in this movie. He is constantly in many ways a victim of the bullshit of adults that he is not responsible for yeah and so you were talking about going into the weeds and you know baby i love the weeds so i'm going to ask and and feel free to share as much or as little as you would like but like you relate to antoine uh on a personal level do you have like specific incidences that like really rang out to you from your past that mirror his experience it's more that there were patterns from my childhood that are reflected in specific events in this movie so okay so things like for example um i would say i don't know that you could describe antoine's home life in this movie as Okay, I was going to say I don't know that you could necessarily describe it as abusive, but I'm going to take that back because one, he gets hit in the face uh, several times, and two, uh, it's definitely an emotionally uh, very toxic environment for him, pretty much entirely because of things that are completely outside of his control that have nothing to do with him. It creates a dynamic, especially when he is not quote unquote performing to standard in an academic setting where combined with the punishments that are being visited on him and the weird nebulous toxicity and borderline abusive environment that he's, he's in to begin with, for example, it is far preferable to essentially leave home and go live at a friend's place for an extended period of time for one reason or another. Uh, Things like, that ring very true for me personally. I also, while watching this, had my own memories kind of flash up of having to leave my own home environment 
to like stay with a friend for a bit just to like let things cool down and like his mom's response to his not even return because she came and found him at the school but like his mom's response of being like oh uh, why would he hate me as if like she has no concept of how she treats him and so she tries to treat him better which like has its own kind of like abuse implications and in in terms of you know abusers will abuse you and then they will apologize and do big grand gestures to like make you feel like you are safe again so that they can continue the cycle so like i i too had uh reminiscent experiences it's funny because you you kind of get the same but different dysfunctional feel from renee's family in that like his parents obviously hate each other you know but they have the opportunity and the means to not have to be around each other at any given moment they have the means and and a large enough place where like i'm sure that renee doesn't have to hear them express their own bad relationship because of how they do it and so his issues are more centered on neglect so like you imagine that like he will probably have to you know kind of talk about some codependency issues as he grows up because of these what i assume will be feelings of abandonment and and needing to kind of self-care as opposed to being taken care of i like that we get to kind of explore the home lives of these two kids who they share these like dysfunctioning so you get why they're best friends but they're also vastly different views of their backgrounds right and i think another key difference uh, certainly in their experiences together in this movie uh obviously their home lives and their dynamics therein are a little bit different but also renee even though he ultimately makes some of the same choices uh, antoine does along with him uh is not at all held accountable for things that are in no way his fault the way Antoine is repeatedly right. one of the first things we talked about it a few minutes ago with the the pinup girl. It's not even like Antoine brought that into the class. It just ended up in front of him. And so he has to eat shit for everybody. And it does seem a little bit like it's because the teacher just doesn't like this kid to begin with for reasons that are honestly based on what we see, probably not his fault. Here's my theory. Okay. Uh, so the teacher is his real father, right? <laughs> and oh that's true yeah there's they allude to his mother uh talks about how right her husband is not actually antoine's father yeah he married when he was very yeah. young or i mean we can do the do the snape thing where um his teacher was in love with his mother and uh, is really sad that she chose someone else and didn't come back to him after that guy is gone and so he's like oh yeah anyone with the name jonelle i'm going to abuse uh, and so he uh, he abuses him because uh, of the love once lost. I like it. So Antoine is the boy who lived yeah. and Rene is like his Ron Weasley. Yes, of course. Neat. Yeah. <laughs> who is the were- Lupin? Who's the werewolf guy in this in this paradigm? Maybe the werewolf guy is the guy who tries to take the typewriter. From That's them. what I was going to go with. Either that guy or the guy who uh, tries to help the lady find the dog because he is uh, he wants to get with that girl. Or the dog is the werewolf. Or the dog is uh, uh, Gary yes. Oldman. The dog is serious. Of Black. course. There we yes. go. We unlo- we just rebooted 400 Blows for the nerdy pop culture obsessed 
uh, 21st century. Exactly. Did you ever have, because I very much did, did you ever have any instances in school where you felt that you were on the receiving end of some uh, disdain, some ire, maybe even some punishment uh, by an academic authority figure that was, uh, in your estimation, completely unwarranted? I mean, always. Like, I don't know if you know this. Um, Maybe we've, it's been a long time since we've met. Um, but I'm black. And so I um, did know yes. that I did. I think it's, it's easy. It's, it's, you forget sometimes. I know. These days, I know. I did know. I did. I know. have this generic American accent. And so everyone <laughs> assumes they're like, where is he from? But, uh, I'm black. And so I had to deal with that a lot. Like black people in most situations are, uh, less likely to believed, um, and there's always a, a certain amount of skepticism in most situations. And so, like, I could, I could count off numerous ways. There is, uh, one specific one that I could recall where I was in an English class and the teacher, like, there were an, a myriad of people who were cheating because this teacher didn't refresh her syllabus from year to year. And so, like, one of the people in the class had a, uh, like, his brother's binder from a couple of years before. And essentially uh, she had suspected that people were cheating and we were taking a test and I put my notes on top of a hat underneath my desk. It fell out while she was walking by and she's like, you're cheating. Oh. And so I failed that test and I was like, but oh. I wasn't cheating. And she would not believe me, would not uh, let me like try to defend myself. And so like I, uh decided to uh take my anger out in that I would relate every situation in every essay I wrote for the next few months back to this situation. We were studying Othello and uh so I wrote an essay about Othello being like it's really unfortunate when you have no control over the circumstances around you and you are essentially the blame is being pushed upon you uh, and things of that sort. And, and you know, like, it's like the people in power have something against you. And she's like, you're pushing it. Um, so I almost got kicked out of the class because I kept relating um, everything back to her, treating me unjustly. Dude, you you were Antoine Duanel. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm sure. Like, I've me and this kid have a lot in common i though i'm a little bit antoine and a little bit uh renee in that like i was also in in a neglectful environment so like even if i did bad things like you know they weren't around to like make me do stuff so the the one time that i did really get in trouble for and i deserved it but it's because my sister snitched is that like i had a bb (laughs) gun and i wanted to shoot it and so I was in the neighborhood shooting the the street signs. And then one of our white neighbors was like, you can't have this. And like shoved me, like drug me back to my house. And my sister was the only one there. And I was like, don't, don't tell mom. <laughs> and she did. And I got a whooping and I was very upset. But like, other than that, unless somebody snitched, bro, we was in the clear. Since you mentioned it, I too feel like I'm definitely somewhere between Antoine and, and Renee in that what what it sounds like you were saying is sort of what it was for me, which is unless 
I was being punished in some way, I was mostly completely left to my own devices, which had some upsides. Uh, the downside, uh, obviously, being not not a whole lot of guidance. So like Antoine, you don't always completely understand why you're not being seen, you're not being heard, why you're being punished in this way. And at a certain point, when you know that you're not going to be heard, the only thing to do is act out, because that's the only way to sort of assert not just your individuality, but to assert both to yourself and to everybody else that you're alive, that you exist, that you're valid. Like I've definitely had a bunch of those. And and from a young age, it was that cycle. I don't remember why. I had a fifth grade teacher that was just the most sort of vindictive, unpleasant person who very clearly did not like her job at all and very clearly did not like me at all. But what I remember more from fifth grade was myself and somebody else who I guess in this paradigm was sort of my Renee. Like they got it into their heads. We were in like we when we went to math class, I think we went into what was somebody else's homeroom. And so other students would leave their stuff, you know, around or in the desks. And somebody had left, I want to say literally two to three dollars of lunch money in their desk. And this kid gets the idea in his head well, why don't we just, why don't we just take the $3? It's just $3. Like, no, who's going to know and stuff? And I was like, okay, tee hee hee. <laughs> well, I, I don't remember exa- exactly how we got busted for that one, but uh, we did. And what happened was, uh, obviously, like, once it was sort of laid bare, like, we did this stupid, frivolous thing without thinking about it, very cavalierly, very capriciously, it's just kids being dumb kids. But what happened after the fact was I was sat down and I was told what a bad person I was. I was told that any sorry that I'm feeling right now is essentially bullshit. You're not sorry. You're only sorry that you got caught because you're a bad person, regardless of what I was feeling or thinking or or what had become clear to me in the time between saying, okay, sure, let's do this. And the present moment. There was a lot of stuff like that uh, when I was younger, which if you know me would probably track quite a bit for you. Uh, I was told repeatedly by by people in positions of authority that I was just objectively bad. Uh, but my favorite one of these stories is something that happened when I was in high school. And I want to say I was a sophomore in high school. And I was taking an elective psychology class because I find psychology very fascinating. So what I would do is I would get done with the work ahead of everybody else and I would have nothing to do. My grade, my grade point average in that class was always super duper high. So I would get done with my work and I'd sit and I'd read whatever book I brought to school with me that day from home and I'd run the clock out till it was time to go to the next class. And one day, finally the teacher keys into the fact that I'm doing this. And I guess it, it clicked into place that he's seen me sitting there reading, not working a whole bunch of times. So he makes a really big show of dragging me out of the class in front of everybody and then stands in the hallway and yells at me for a couple of minutes about how lazy I am and how embarrassing it is and how, uh, you know, if I don't want to be here, if I don't want to put the work in, then I should get out of his class because somebody else might want that seat, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I said, okay, I'm very sorry. I won't read in your class anymore. The next week, progress reports come out. And I don't know how you did it at your school, but like in this class, you know, we'd be working on something and then one at a time, you'd be called up to the teacher's desk to get your progress report and like sign out, verify that you got it. 
So my name comes up and I go to the front of the class, go to his desk. He picks up the progress report, looks at me for a second, and then does a double take because I have almost a perfect 100% grade point average in this class. And he literally stammers. He goes, I, I'm, oh, I didn't realize you were doing so well in here. And I said, yep. And I took it and I sat down. And that is essentially my experience with academia in a nutshell right there. Uh, that is sort of like the key event uh, that really crystallizes what my whole childhood was like in terms of my relationship with uh, certainly academic authority figures. But it's a pretty good model case for my relationship with authority figures in general, which, as I mentioned, if you know me personally, might explain quite a bit. Right. Um, did you consider punching him in the throat? Oh, more than once. But I figured that wouldn't go over well. That would be me feeding into the the cycle that I was talking about, about like uh, uh, being punished over somebody else's bullshit and then acting out in a way that does invite genuine punishment. But that's actually something interesting to consider, too. Right now, obviously, Antoine is not uh, he's 12, so he's not necessarily picking apart the different psychological factors of, of all of these interactions. But I do think there is an element too, for a lot of people and, and very, very probably for Antoine on some level as well, which is okay. If you decide, uh, absent any input of mine that I am bad, that I'm lesser that I'm say a criminal. Well, okay, fine. I will then be that thing and we'll see how much you actually like it. You want me to be that thing? Fine. I'll be that thing. It's, saddening because you watch somebody like you watch Antoine take on all of this stuff and you know even though uh, he's you know he's still 12 we don't watch in this movie we don't watch him growing up to deal with all of this baggage we do in the other films in the series but the last sequence of the movie you know they, they go as far as to basically put him into a military academy he goes fuck this and bails and he runs straight for the coast and he makes it to the coast and there's this moment of now what and Truffaut uses that device where he does the optical zoom and the freeze frame on Antoine's face which is something that like half the fucking movies made after that would try to replicate that sort of final freeze frame and stuff but it's like where does he go you know not just where does he go physically but where do you go as a person in your life as yourself if you are constantly being boxed in in this way um, and it's this complete total uncertainty it's this it's being completely unmoored from any sense of belonging any real sense of place any sense of purpose and any clear sense of self that isn't directly tied to you're kind of a piece of shit kid you know what i mean i mean i said that he went straight into the ocean um because <laughs> like you know that's that's the ultimate F you to everyone being like, yo, I went out on my terms, baby. Glug, 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 glug. I'm making finger guns as for every glug. So it's like shooting a glug gun. I guess also he he had expressed earlier, which I, I liked the salientness of him reaching the coast because he was talking about how he had never seen the ocean. He would have been excited to go to the Navy because it would have been a chance to, like, get out and explore. And then his friend humble brags and is like, I've seen all the oceans. I'm a dick. <laughs> um, but that aside, I would love it if he just becomes an offshoreman's apprentice. You know, just like he finds a boat and the boat's like, we're running away from something. And he's like, we. And then he's like, cool, let's go. 
Let's let's find some crabs, baby. I don't know what the the local fish economy of of uh, France is or was. Um, some cod, some 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 poufer fish. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. All right. So it'd be like, oui, mon ami. Je m'appelle poufer fish. Oh, I I don't know French. I I took a semester of it, so I don't know it. But I know that. We oui, mon ami means yes, sir. <laughs> Something like that. Anyways, yeah, I would hope for that. As it stands, the precedent that we have based on this specific movie is that like that one kid got caught within five days. So you could assume that the same is going to happen to Antoine. And so either that day or in the next few days, he'll like live in a cave and then get caught and go back and hang out in the military or he'll just keep running until i don't know he ends up becoming the guy who is trying to sell the typewriter something that's really cool that Truffaut decided to do he, this wasn't uh, his plan initially i don't believe but he did revisit this character a number of times uh in the years to come same actor as well as Jean-Pierre Léod playing Antoine at higher ages later in his life. So again, that's why I said like right up at the top of the show, uh, Truffaut was sort of doing boyhood before there was boyhood. But uh, I think it was uh, 400 blows, then there was a short subject, and then three additional features. And I I maybe have seen one of them, so it's not like I really can spoil anything if people want to go check those out. Um, I'm planning on now diving into those, but I do know... I want to say the the third story, which was the the second feature in this series, Antoine has gone into the military and he was dishonorably discharged. And it's interesting, too, and the biggest reason I want to really dive in and look at the rest of this series is because I do really want to see what the impact of these experiences are on Antoine as he grows up, because you can tell that all of these things that happen to him are leaving a mark the way all of our formative experiences uh, leave marks and shape our sense of identity and our our relationship uh, with ourselves. And so I'm very curious to see how an Antoine who is much closer in age to the age I'm at now might be coping with whatever the sort of mental, emotional, spiritual fallout of uh, his childhood experiences are because I think that's that's something that we all I think have to grapple with on a regular basis. Based on what you just said, it sounds like he doesn't grow too much in that like he's probably still being super rebellious and based on the short synopses of the next installments, it sounds like he's kind of taken after his mom. Pew, 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 pew. Interpret that however you want. Go watch the movies. <laughs> Ooh baby. So, I don't think he's coping too well with them. You know, I don't think uh, I don't think therapy was a big thing back then. So I think he probably is like, I'm gonna drink to feel good. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, that's that's what I got. All right. So, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? I, as I mentioned, was really I didn't know that I was going to have the experience with this movie this time that I did. I really enjoy this movie. I am very much looking forward to looking at the other movies in the series. This uh, this experience watching it has really made me hungry again for a lot of the work that came out of the French 
new wave. What's really interesting is these guys, you know, it's Truffaut, it's uh, Jean-Luc Godard, Jacques Rivette, Eric Romer. These guys all were critics. They wrote for Cahiers du Cinéma, which is still, I believe, is still in circulation. It's, I think, the oldest French language film magazine in publication. But these guys were all fans. You know what I mean? These guys were all fans. They were all critics. They were already uh, working to examine film and get under the hood, figure out the the different elements that made these things function and how they all worked in conjunction with each other, and then took all of that knowledge and found a way to create something new, found a way to not just execute what they were perceiving, but also to elevate it and to create a sort of new spin on the form on the medium that really did set the template for in large, in large part uh, to a large extent for the next, uh, I mean, the rest of cinema history up until right about the present moment. I have seen a lot of the movies that came out of this era, but most of them not for some time. And so I'm very much looking forward to diving back in and experiencing them in a way that I think if, if it's anything like my experience watching 400 Blows this time will make what I've seen before feel new again. And, and maybe I'll end up seeing more of myself in the rest of these movies than I was expecting to because... I certainly didn't expect to see so much of myself in the character of Antoine. So, uh, Tari, you, as somebody coming to this movie for the first time, I guess, same question. What What are your big takeaways? What are your final thoughts and feelings on 400 Blows? My final thoughts. I think it's a really interesting coming of age story. I think it's super relatable uh, in that it really just kind of revels in portraying the day in the life of this boy and his trials and tribulations and and trying to really contextualize how he perceives the world. And I think that that's a really interesting kind of take, especially for something made back in the 50s. I don't know why I said it that way, but it doesn't matter. I would say that like it's it's very much worth a watch, especially if you're really into the history of cinema. I think if you are kind of coming into it new, uh, I mean, we've said so many things about it that you should probably be like, oh, damn, they write, blah, French, French expressionism, a new wave cinema. Um, but if you're not like that, then like read anything about it because it will, I think, whet your appetite and really kind of uh, make you feel things. That's my take. I dig it. Good. That is the end of this episode. Okay. <laughs> we just pipe in the music now, no yep. talking, and it's left to everybody. Like, if you've been listening to the show so far, you should have the, the outro internalized. So you could do it yourself. You, this is you being part of the show. It's uh, it's participatory entertainment now. <laughs> so this is the last installment of our School's Out forever series for june and so next month our theme is going to be july's it's going to be a series that is focusing on retellings of true events whether it be hyperbolic whether it be a fictional retelling whether it be just another styled retelling of true events a la 300 or, or panther or serial something to that effect so our first topic is going to be it's going to be a twofold piece in that uh we are going to be talking about the second act 
of This American Life episode 457 called 21 Trump Street. Uh, and then we are going to be talking about the musical adaptation that was created by Lin-Manuel Miranda. So we will tweet out the links to both of these things so you can have a chance to listen to them both before coming into the episode next week. But that is the first installment, and baby, you are going to love it. You're going to be like, oh, damn, love. Only if you believe in love. You'll understand that next week. So, uh, until then, Lex, where can people find you? I am on Twitter and Instagram at the Lex Michael. I almost never post on these platforms, but I am there. I promise. Uh, if you if you show up, you can feel my presence. If you truly believe. Uh, also, I do another podcast with my lovely partner Marianne Ramish. We call it Friends with Benefits, where we take a look at the massive pop culture juggernaut that is Friends, and we go through the whole thing episode by episode. Marianne is a fan of this thing. And folks, let me tell you, I'm not really. And so we're going to examine it from both a fan perspective and a critical perspective. And yes, episode by episode, all 2,645,832 episodes of Friends. Go check that out. We are having a genuinely good time doing it. So we hope that you guys have fun listening. Uh, HBO Max is available now so you can watch Friends along with us. You can find that wherever you find your podcasts. You found this one, so you can probably find that one too. Go check that out, Friends with Benefits. Uh, Tari J, where can people find you? Ooh, baby, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Tari J. That's T-A-U-R-I-J-A-Y, baby. Ooh, baby, that's where you can find me. But most importantly, you can find this podcast at Missing Outcast. That's M-I-S-S-I-N-G-O-U-T-C-A-S-T. Grown-ups. Yeah, grown-ups. That's where you can find this podcast. Uh, so we look forward to uh, starting our next topic or overarching theme next month. We look forward to hearing from you. We will be covering a few of your suggestions, which I'm really excited about. We'll try to have something with a post of like what the monthly schedule is going to be. So keep an eye out on that on the previously mentioned Twitter. Until then, this has been the retrospective that is introspective. And now you have a new perspective. I'm fucking bailing and running for the sea. Oh, dang. These are the waves. Ready? Yeah. yeah. And then, and then, and then ready. Optical, optical zoom to a, to a freeze frame. Ready? Ready? That was it. We got it. That's a wrap, everyone. <laughs> Movie's over. <laughs> <laughs>